0: If you're able to open with me Psalm 73 uh, And we're going to read just portions of that Passage And and ask God for his help as we move To to see his, his word that is perfect That doesn't have any error And that is powerful to transform us Through the Holy Spirit So Psalm 73 I will be moving Two different verses. Truly God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. But as for me. My feet had almost stumbled. My step had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 5. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. We move to verse 12. Behold. These are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Only in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. This is important. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. To you set them into sleeping places. You, you make them fall to ruin, how they're destroyed in a moment swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you rose yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul wasn't bitter, when I was prickled in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after a while you will receive me to glory Whom I have in heaven but you And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you My flesh and my heart may fail But God is the strength of my heart And my portion forever For behold, those who are far from you shall perish You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you But for me, it is good to be near God I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell all of your works. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you, we're grateful for your kindness and your goodness toward us. As we see it so clearly in the cross of Christ. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will be filling me. I'm I'm, I'm about to preach your word. And you'll be able to fill the congregation so they can receive your word and be transformed by it, Lord. Lord, use the meaning of the proclamation of your word to encourage your church and to save people. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I move, uh, there's something I want to say. I found many things that we have in common, Larry and I, and one that I'm enjoying is our deep love for the Atlanta Braves. My friend Marco Antonio, I know he's not liking that one. I grew up watching boxing. In Puerto Rico, we don't play soccer. Everybody's like, "How's your... I don't play soccer. I've never played soccer in my life. Marcelo is laughing about that. Uh, uh, we play baseball, basketball, and boxing. Yeah, we are violent culture in Puerto Rico. And since I was like four years old, my dad took me to boxing uh, matches. And I was able to see some of the greatest uh, boxers in, in the history of boxing, And, you know, I just have these sweet memories of my dad and me going to the boxing matches and seeing the blood and the broken jaws as I was growing up. And the one thing you learn as you are seeing a boxing match is that the, the most devastating punch is not the hardest one. It's the one that you don't see coming. Yeah. You know, the best boxers are the ones... That they can like, move in a certain way that you think is they may going to throw a left and they throw a right. And you don't see that coming and it hits you like a truck. And you are like stunned, dizzy, you don't know what's going on. You're saying, can, can, you, can you please look at the, at the license plate of whatever hit me? <laughs> Sometimes suffering can feel like that. Yes. It comes out of nowhere. You're not expecting it. It comes in in, in a way, in a form, in a shape That is like that punch that you didn't see coming And it stunts you You are dizzy Your thoughts are like moving around your head You you don't know what to think You don't know how to react You are like in in a cloud Suffering can come in many ways It can be the diagnosis of cancer or a sickness that you were not expecting. It can be a rebellious child when he becomes an adolescent. It can be difficulties in relationship. It can be financial hardship. It can be problems at your church. And sometimes when we are hit by suffering, we forget about everything and we become centred in ourselves. Everything becomes about us and we just start thinking about ourselves and our world is rock. Your mind is consumed by this situation. You wake up and you think about this. You go to bed and you think about this. And in the middle of sleeping, you're thinking about it. Seems like everywhere you go, all your thoughts, or your mind go there. And many times, we are tempted to think... If God is good, how is this happening to me? How is this happening to us? And this psalm that we read portions of it is about this type of suffering. Because many times when we're in the midst of suffering, we start comparing ourselves to others. And we say, if I be your servant, God, how the wicked is prospering, how they're, good, they're doing well. And it seems like everything that I try to do It's just hard. Why? Why am I suffering? And I hope that Psalm 73 will help us see that in the midst of our suffering, God is good. That in the midst of our suffering, God is good. Because in the presence of God, we experience God's goodness. In the presence of God, we experience God's goodness. God has revealed himself, and he has revealed to us that he is good. Many times suffering show us that we need to be desperate for God and his presence so we can experience his goodness. So in the presence of God, we experience God's goodness. Point number one, God goodness. Point number one, God goodness. Verse one, truly God is good, is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. in heart. You have to see, the, this psalm, he will spend about 15 verses telling us how his suffering and the weekend is prospering. He's going to spend like 15 verses saying it. And, and if somebody just starts telling you that, you tend to go around him and say, yeah, it's true, you know, life is hard, you know. For you you know, people are doing well and you're doing bad, but before he goes there, before he starts telling us how he's suffering and the wicked is prospering, he wants to, to give us one truth to guide us through that. Before he goes and tell us life is tough, he's telling us something very important: God is good. God is good. Don't forget that. you're going to read some verses that tell, tell you that life can be hard, but don't forget something. God is good. It's like when you go to New York City and you see all these big billboard. You know, they're not neon anymore. Now it's, what, LCD or whatever it is. And they're, like, flashing and telling you different things and shows. There's a big one saying, God is good. Amen. So this psalmist, before he starts sh- pouring his heart about his hard situation, he wants to remember us. Truly, God is good. And he said, God is good to who? To Israel. We are Israel. To his church. He is good to us. And as uh, Larry was praying before, maybe you come here in the midst of suffering. There can be sickness. It can be a relational trial. But remember something. God is good. And the reason sometimes we doubt that God is good is because of the way we measure his goodness. We measure his goodness based on our circumstances and not based on what he has revealed in his word to us. He has told us he's good and we believe him because he's good. He's a good God. The problem is we think, it's funny because we reform people, we tend to say, man, those, uh, those prosperity gospel people, But in the midst of suffering, we become prosperity gospel. (laughs) Because we think, I shouldn't suffer like this. I shouldn't suffer like this. And it's the same type of thinking. If i have been faithful to God, I shouldn't be going through this. We think, and we really believe we're not going to suffer. And that punch comes, and our life is changed. And our thinking is being shaken. I was telling Kathy the other day, when we're suffering, it's a good time to see if we really believe what we say we believe. And God used those times so we can maybe lower that gap between what we say we believe and what we truly believe. So look what happened to the psalmist. And that's the same thing that happened to us. We start asking, is God Truly good. Church, this is what is truth. It's not the circumstances. It's not what you're feeling. It's the reality that God is good. And he's being good to this church right now. He's good. He's good. When uh, Kathy and I got married, we, uh, you know, we... we we moved to the United States. We we're in the middle of a transition. So we, we were waiting a couple of years before we, we uh, this, you know, started trying to have babies. And we find out after we started that Kathy had like a sickness that prevented her from conceiving. So uh, naturally, she couldn't have babies. And uh, one of my first thoughts was, uh, so why we were using birth control? But that's another thing. Uh, <laughs> So, 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 yeah. So, we, we are in the middle of this trial, and month after month, we're getting the, the, the negative you know, result that, that, she, that she's not pregnant. And, you know, it's almost like two years into this. And this is, you know, we're carrying this in our hearts. It's very trialing. And it was a time that, uh, that really we look back and we see how God used it to, 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 to make us. Uh, see his goodness and, and his care for us. But we were in Miami, visiting uh, the Alpino church down there, and a, and a member from the church, we were staying in his home, and we're just telling him, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this, we're praying, we, we, we want to have children. And, and he told us, he told, he told me something, do you, do you think if you never will be able to conceive your children, do you still think that God is good? And That was a... It was a faithful question but at the same time I said Brother Just give me Give me a hug <laughs> <laughs> Give me a hug brother And uh, I remember With Kathy In Miami airport Saying Kathy This is This is what is important It's not Being able to To conceive Because I think in, in my mind I was saying You know We We are We are a good couple We love the Lord I'm about to go To a pastor's college uh, uh, You know This kid will be blessed to be born in this house And and when when, when you're not able to conceive Everybody's having kids You look around and everybody's getting pregnant Even the people that also want to get pregnant Oops, we we have another one Everybody's having kids that you're not having kids But at that time It was a time for me and Kathy To be able to say God, even if you don't give us kids Even if we're not able to adopt kids You are good And you are all that we need By the grace of God The Lord healed Kathy It it wasn't through a a treatment It it was a healing And uh, I remember we were in a retreat They prayed for her Next cycle she was pregnant And then for Janelle Next cycle, one try She was pregnant And uh, The the take from this story is like It's not like you pray You're going to have kids That that may happen But the, the take from the story is God is good even when we were not having the kids, and after when we had the kids, He's good. He's good. Right. Right. He's good to us. And if you are in the middle of going through something like that, uh, I, I understand what you're going through. But He's good. He's good to you. And he will be good to you. And I don't know if you see verse 1. It says, Truly, God is good to Israel, it's important part, The second part of that verse that says, to those who are pure in heart. And that's an important part of that equation of the goodness of God. Because I don't know about you, but I know I'm not pure in heart. Oh, if, my, if my thoughts were published, it would be very shameful. I'm sure that all of you know you're not pure in heart. But we see the goodness of God there because the reason that God sees us as pure in heart is because Christ died for us on the cross of Calvary. So we know God is good because now he sees us as pure of heart. Because not for what we have done, because what Christ has done. So God is good. Because he sees you now Even though as you are a sinner with a black heart You are pure in heart Because Christ's blood has cleaned your heart That's the goodness of God yes. He is good And he's good to us yes, So when we question The goodness of God that, w- that we may be able to see his goodness In making us pure in heart Not both because of what we have done But because of what Christ has done for us so we saw that goodness of God, point number two. In the presence of God, we experience God's goodness. We see the absence of God. Okay, I know that you know the theological things. God is not absence. God is everywhere. But in the midst of suffering, many times, you and me, we think that God is absence. We think he's not there. It's the... It's the it's the feeling that he's absent. It's not the reality that he's absent. He is with his people, but we think he's not there. Because we are involved in our own thinking. During trials, everything becomes about me. Self-centeredness. We, all, we only think about us, our feelings, our suffering. And everything is, 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 it ends, starts and ends with how we feel. I think one of the big temptations during suffering is the temptation for self-pity, and self-pity becomes precious. It, it becomes something that it feels good, it feels right to feel sorry about yourself. It, it seems to be the right way to to feel during that time. If somebody's attacking you, if somebody's is 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 saying wrong things about you, if, if you're going through a difficult time, you feel good. To feel bad. It's almost like, like Lord of the Rings. You know, Gollum? Yeah. Because you're precious. You know? Because it's something that you hold on to. Because he feels right. He comfort in some ways. To feel bad. And we start blaming God for what we experience. And we see that the way the psalmist is blaming God is by being envious of others. In his self-pity, he started looking at his situation, how bad he's feeling about himself, and he started looking outside to other people. And he's saying, Man, that, that, that person is a wicked, and he's driving a Beamer. And, and, and that person just cheated on his wife. And he... He has a great job, and I'm here. I cannot find a good job. And this other one, he takes his wife to Ruth Chris, and I cannot even go to Taco Bell. And we start comparing to other people their situations, their life, because we think it's unfair, and because through that we're saying, God, you are to blame. Because you're sovereign. See how these other people are doing And look how I'm doing. You are to blame. We don't think that way. But through envying others, we're telling God, you are to blame. Look at verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My step had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What he's saying in verse 2 is, I almost got lost. I almost went away from the faith. I almost slept. I I almost gave up everything because I was in the midst of this suffering. And the reason he almost slept, he, he, he went away, is because he looked around and there was people doing better than him that didn't serve God. So his equation was, I'm suffering. There's others that are not suffering. They're not serving God. So why should I serve God? Why should I continue serving God? If they're doing well, and I'm not doing well. You see in verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And if we go through all the rest of the verses, he's starting to talk about different ways he's envying the wicked. You see, the problem is not that the wicked prosper. The problem is that we're measuring God goodness through other people's circumstances and comparing to our circumstances. We have like this measure. They're doing fine, I should be doing better. Twelves allow circumstances to dictate and we're tempted to envy. And which ways would we envy? We couldn't have babies. So we were envying everybody that could have a baby. Maybe your husband does not behave in ways that you would prefer. Maybe you envy other other wives that have better husbands. Or or you think they have better husbands. Maybe your health. Maybe your work situation. Maybe we believe that our church should do better. And we see the Prosperity Gospel Church down the road and say, why do they have so many people and why we don't, we don't seem to grow as fast as they do? Sometimes moms, in the midst of parenting, they can envy other kids and their behaviors. Or maybe situations of, and maybe a mom that has to work and a mom that has to stay at home. And we start to envy what other people have because we're blaming God and we think God is not with us. We think his absence. Verse thirteen, he said, "All in vain have I kept my heart clean, and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You see what he's saying, Lord? I have saved you. I have been kept clean, and I just been getting rebuke. I've been getting trials." But this is when we don't get the gospel right He's saying for what I have done I should have everything And he doesn't see that he gets Everything because of what Christ has done He's getting it the other way around He's saying You know, I have keep my heart clean None of us can keep our heart clean Only Christ can do that for us The problem is When we serve God for his benefit Instead of for what he is. And in the midst of self-centeredness, the temptation is to forget the gospel. To forget what Christ has done. To forget the goodness of God and remembering that he's with us. I deserve better. That's what we say. I deserve better. And we, we forget that we deserve hell. Through this psalm, inspired by God, we will see that in the middle of suffering we cannot look in ourselves. We cannot look to others. We need to look in another place. Instead of looking at us, and then looking at others, we need to look in another place, in a better place. So in the presence of God, we experienced God's goodness. We saw the goodness of God revealing his word. We saw the, the, the percept, perception that God is absent. But point number three, we see God's presence. God's presence. The psalmist give us the solution to the situation. Go with me to verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Do you see how the, the, after this, the, the whole psalm... Shifted direction He was self-centered He was thinking about himself He was saying, poor little me But something changed And what changed? He went to the presence of God And he saw the right perspective He was looking at him And he was looking at other people And everything changed when he went To the presence of God To He went to where God is You see, many times, in the midst of suffering, we put our hope in the wrong things. And I think many times we can say, "Well, it's it's not as bad as other people," and that can help. But you're still suffering. You're still in the midst of trial. Uh, And many times, I don't know about you, but for me, many times, it's the temptation to say, "Okay, we are about to finish this. This is this is going to end." Last summer, uh, I started running. And I haven't stopped. My wife say I became Forrest Gump. <laughs> it's like a midlife crisis type of thing. You see some people buy a convertible. I'm on a pastor's salary. I cannot do that. So I buy running shoes. And I'm running and running and running. And uh, so uh, last, last uh, spring, I, I, I did my first half marathon. And... Uh, i have been training. And I, I I'm the kind of person when I do something I, I go wholehearted. I'm and, 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 and I'm doing very well. So, but one thing is, uh, uh, in this race there was both a half and a full marathon, and everybody started at the same time. So, so I'm running and I'm getting to the mile twelve, and I'm I'm very tired. It's Thirty miles so that's a long distance, uh, and, and so it's like mile twelve. And, and we're coming, it was in Washington, D.C., we went through the monuments, Rock Creek Parkway, and then you go through Howard University. And then you're coming down, you see uh, the Capitol, and then you start moving to our RFK Stadium. And you start moving that way. And at mile 12, after mile 12, they divide the half-marathoners and the full-marathoners. So the half-marathoners, you're like... Maybe half a mile from RFK, you, you know it's there, so you're tired, everything hurts, but you're saying I'm almost there. I remember there was a girl with like a sign. There's like people doing the race with different signs, that are funny and things like that. And she was saying, "You're almost there, or you're halfway there." <laughs> I thought, I it was so funny. And the people with blue bibs, you know, the bibs the number, they were going to the half, and the people with red bibs, they were going to the full. And there was like. I think twenty thousand people were running the race, and only three thousand was going to run the full. So I'm going, I'm going down to the end. Like, I'll see you guys. <laughs> so they're going like back. They're going actually away from RFK. They're almost there, and they have to go away from RFK toward uh, the mall, and then they go to Anacostia. I think that's when they start running faster. They want to get away from there, <laughs> and then b- back to back to RFK you know so Kat, my, my wife and I we were in, in the middle of a situation and I sent an email to her saying right now in our house everything is running you know we talk about running all the illustrations in, in our church is about running when you preach every Sunday for six years you, are, you don't have any more illustrations so you just say whatever is on your mind so I appreciate your pastor is doing that the hard work every week preaching the gospel and faithfully preaching God's word to you guys thank you for doing that uh, to, to, to this congregation so, so I tell my wife Kathy I think we're in mile 12 of this trial we're almost home and I was wrong they told me no 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 you have to keep running the full you have to keep running the full marathon you have, you have the you have the red bib you cannot come this way And in the midst of trial, our hope is not that it will end. Because as I have news for you, when that ends, something new will come. And that's what has happened to us. We're still in the midst of the trial, and new things have come. Our only hope is the goodness of God. And we experience that in the sanctuary of God, in His presence, where He is. Many different ways that we can experience the presence of God. You can experience it praying in the morning with your Bible. You can experience it meditating on Scripture. You can do it through, through hearing worship song. But you know, I think the primary way that you experience the presence of God is what you guys are doing right now. Gathering as the people of God to worship Him and to receive His Word and responding worship to His Word. God is here. And your experience is His goodness. Yes. And in the presence of God, in His nearness, our perspective change. Yes. That perspective that was full of us changed. And we become full of Him. And we see what really is precious. Not our self-pity, but the God that created us and saved us. And in the presence of God... The perspective is, is that we see the end. We don't see the end of the terror. We see the real end, the end of our lives and the end of the wicked. Right. Look in verse 17b. He says, Then I discern their end. He was, he was uh, tempted to, to envy them just a few verses before. He went to the presence of God. He changed. I saw their end, I saw what was going to happen to them. It's not good. You, have you guys been to the movies lately? Uh, it seems that you need to take a loan to go to the movies. You know, it's a, <laughs> Like, a loan. How do you say that in English? Loan? <laughs> I see a couple of people. What are you say? You know, you need to go to borrow money to get money. A mortgage. A mortgage. Second mortgage on your house to go to the movies, you know. Family of four, uh, four tickets, popcorn, soda, 80 bucks. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. And then you get to the movie, and, and the worst part is when you have somebody behind you that has already seen the movie and doesn't have the self-control. Don't, don't be self-righteous. We all have done this <laughs> to, 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 uh, to, uh, to say what's going to happen. Oh yeah, he's the bad guy Thank you But what happens is When you know the end What happens, he takes away the suspense See that you're watching one of these Thrillers or like CIA movies Or something like that And they say, yeah, he's the mole Takes away the suspense out of the movie You know what's going to happen That's what happened to the psalmist When he went to the presence of God And his perspective changed Because he wasn't seeing now he was seeing the end. Yeah. And instead of envying, He was seeing the, the hard end of the wicked. And the blessing that He was going to experience. Look, look at the end of the ungodly in verse 19. How they're destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when once awake, or Lord, when you rouse yourself, You despise them as phantoms. He's saying, one day they're prospering, one day they're gone. And I just think about the end of verse 20. You despise them. There's nothing worse than to be despised by God. I cannot think of anything worse than that. You're here with us today and you don't know Christ. You haven't come to... To know Christ as your Savior. Oh, ask, ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you, to reveal His work as the one that came to earth to live a perfect life for you, to die on the cross for your sins, to, to be dead and resurrected from the grave. And He's now in heaven. I will come back for His people, and you put his, your trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sin and your justification. And you will not be despised Not because of what you have done But because of what Christ Has done right. So in the presence of God we see The end of the wicked But we also think What God has done for us And what God is In the presence of God We see what God is Verse 21 When my soul wasn't bitter, When I was pricked in heart I was brutish And ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and after a while, you will receive me to glory. It's interesting that when he was self-centered, when he was comparing to to the wicked, he said that he was like an animal. And I can relate to that because In many sense it doesn't make sense When we think that way But we are so consumed By our sin and our situation That we have hard thoughts about God But in the midst of that In the midst of our hardness of our heart Look what God does I'm continually with you Verse 23 You hold my right hand You guide me with your counsel, and after a while, you will receive me to glory. What he's saying is, I I almost slept away. I almost went away from you, but you kept me. You are the one that kept me. You're the one that sustained me. I didn't went away, not because I decided to come back. It's because you kept me. In your providence, in your love, in your goodness, you did not allow me to go away from you. So the goodness of God, we only see in his care. He's a providential salvation of his people. If he has saved you, he will keep you. No matter what thoughts you have of him in the midst of your suffering, he will keep you. He will sustain you. He will draw you near. That's the goodness of God. He's with you. You see, the, the, the psalmist thought that God was away, but God said, I'm continually with you. I kept you. I didn't let you go. And after a while, you will receive me to glory. So he's saying, I'm protecting you in the past. I'm keeping you right now. And I'm helping you. And not helping you. I'm the one doing that. You will go all the way to the real end. You will finish the marathon because I'm going to take you there. I will take you home. Yeah. I will take you to my presence. You will experience me not because of you, because of my grace. That's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God in the providence of salvation of his people. It's the gospel. And in the presence of God, we only realize what God has done for us. We realize what God is. You see, he doesn't only save us and keep us to the end. He saves us for himself. He doesn't save us just so we go to heaven and we're over there with like little wings and playing an arbor, or something like that. He saves us so that we will experience His goodness forever. His presence forever. And when we see what God is, everything else seems lame compared to Him. Verse 25. Whom... Have I in heaven but you. And there's nothing on earth. That I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. You may ask. How the psalmist went. From envying the wicked. And desire what the wicked have To say it. All I want is God. It's because by the grace of God. He went to the presence of God. Yes. Okay. And he saw what God has done for him, which is saving, protecting, maintain him, but what also what God is. Look, look with me in verse 26. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. When you see that word portion, the Old Testament, it usually means something that you need to be alive. Even more than oxygen. Portion was, let's say, I had a family and have children. And my children would do the same thing that I did as an adult. So if I was a carpenter, my children would be carpenters also. And part of the portion was my tools. I give them to them and they can continue that craft. Let's say I was a shepherd. And I have I prefer to say goats because if I say ships, it sounds like a boat. So... let's <laughs> <laughs> say I have goats. <laughs> and part of the portion... You guys were awake. That's good. <laughs> part, of, part of the portion is, okay, they have goats that they can sell, they can trade, they can eat, but they also have to, to keep an, a number of goats... To pass through generations, through generations. Because if they lost all of them, they were dead. Good as dead. So portion was that thing, that inheritance that kept a family afloat. And he's saying, What what do I have? I have God. Right. He's all I need. He's my oxygen. He's he's what keeps me alive I can lose my goals I can lose my tool I have God He's my portion Forever Brothers or sisters What we need What we need is God We don't need easy lives We don't need wealth We don't need everything to go our way We need God And by the mercy of God Through Christ We can have access to that God Verse 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. You see, their end is bad. But look at ours. But for me, it's good to be near to God. There's a contrast there. Far versus near. They're far from God. We're near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell All of your work. You see, now he sees what really is good. He said, but for me, it is good to be near to God. So in the midst of suffering, and if you're suffering, it is real. Maybe you can can say, somebody else is, is suffering more than me. No, your suffering is real. Maybe it's the difficulty of separation of friendships. Your, your, your life that you thought you were going to live until you went to heaven has changed and looks a little different. Maybe it can be sickness. We need the presence of God so we can have the right perspective. So we don't have an earthly perspective, but we have an eternal perspective. And that eternal perspective is we know the end. And the end is good for those that God has saved to Christ. So in in the presence of God, we experience the goodness of God. So next time you're tempted to be self-centered, run to God. But remember, when you're running to God, it's not like, I'm running to God. It's like you're running by His grace because Christ has opened a way for us to go to that presence. We have a blessing that the psalmist didn't have. We have Christ. We have Christ, and the revelation of God is greater than whatever He experienced. And we can run to Him with confidence to experience His goodness. Who I have in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. But for for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your works. Let's pray.